In Christ Church, welcome to our Sunday service. I'm Pastor HK, and it is my joy and privilege to be here and share the gospel with you guys. Now, happy Valentine's Day for everyone, because today, hopefully, it is our first and last Valentine's Day, COVID version, of where we get to celebrate with our loved ones. Now, as we wrap up our sermon series, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, today's message is all about you know, what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, the moment I said that, some of you are already putting your imaginary or your physical hands over your ears, just like this lady above, because loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, I mean, that's something, you know, it's easy and it's pretty, it sounds pretty for us to listen to it or hear it, but for us to actually live it out, now that's the difficult part. And some of us are cringing a lot. I have to admit that I'm cringing a little bit too, and as your pastor. So, this, is, this teaching is hard, it's not easy, but it's something that God has called us to do faithfully and diligently. So I pray and hope that today's message will be a message where we'll be reminded and we're inspired to do so for years to come. Now, today's message comes from Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 34. So if you have your Bible with you, turn to Gospel of Luke and we'll read together. And it says this, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your, love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of, of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. Today's scripture comes where we get to see this you know, interesting dialogue between the expert in the law and Jesus. Now, some translation would say that this expert in the law was same as a lawyer, being a lawyer. And so this smart intellectual man is asking Jesus a very um, legitimate and legit, legitimate question that you and I would ask same you know you and I would ask the same thing to Jesus. How do you inherit inter, eternal life, the everlasting life? Now Jesus, when he gets this question, instead of neglecting him and and whatnot, he said, "How does the Old Testament law say, or what does the Old Testament Testament law say about your question? What does the law say about that?" And the, the lawyer. Answered, answered Jesus correctly, which is very interesting and fascinating in this situation. The lawyer said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love 
your neighbor as yourself. Those two are the first two greatest commandments. And the lawyer recited Deuteronomy 6.5, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And Jesus affirms the lawyer's answer, saying, you are correct. Now go and live it out. The story could have ended right there, where the, lawyers, you know, the lawyer could have just went home and said, you know what, I answered the question correctly, and I'm just going to go about my day. But instead, he stuck around, and he asked a, a profound question, profound question in my opinion, because there was some sort of an internal struggle in his heart when Jesus affirmed his answer. Now, I just want to give a little context about this lawyer. Now, this lawyer... Most likely during the biblical days, he knew all 613 laws of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So within those first five books of the Old Testament, there's 613 laws, and this lawyer most likely knew from cover to cover. And out of the entire law, church, 248 of them actually uh, are considered as a positive law. Positive law as in um, instructs the people of God to to worship God with all their hearts or to revere him, um, to worship him without um, just wholeheartedly. Like it's a positive law that encouraged the people to do so. Whereas the 365 laws were considered negative laws where it, it had a clear instruction not to do such as, you know, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't worship the false idols, don't make false idols, um, and, you know, don't do this, and it's all the no-nos within the laws. So it's, it's, it's a long law, it's a lot of laws that this lawyer knew from cover to cover, and yet he asked this question. He asked Jesus, who is my neighbor then? Some scholars believe that when this lawyer asked this question, who is my neighbor, some saying that, you know what, maybe he wanted to make sure that he was living out his law correctly, that he was fulfilling all those you know, traditional law effectively and efficiently. And some scholars believe that, well, most likely he wanted to justify his definition of the second greatest commandment, who is my neighbor. So after the lawyer asked the question, well, who is my neighbor, Jesus responds with this parable. And this parable is where we have to give our full attention today. Jesus said, you know, there was a man that was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this image right here is just a glimpse of the route of Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was about 15 miles long, and Jerusalem is about um, 2,300 feet above the sea level, and Jericho is about 1,300 feet below the sea level. So you can already imagine, when you look at the next image, it's like a downhill trip already. It's, it's, it's a long, gruesome trip, 15 miles long. I mean, just looking at it, my legs turn to jelly when I, when I look for it on the Google. Like, I was like, I don't know how people can do this journey. But it was a gruesome journey. Now, it's, this path right here, it's, it looks a little wide from this angle, but it's actually pretty narrow, uh, rocky, and it's a happy hunting ground for thieves, especially during the biblical days and even afterwards. So it's a very dangerous road, and Jesus is starting with this parable saying, well, this man was traveling alone on this dangerous path. 
And scholars commented that, well, this traveler was reckless, was very reckless, and he was a fool for traveling alone on this path. So the fact that he got robbed and he got beat and, and he just, he lost everything. I mean, the outcome, I mean, he has no one to blame himself for the outcome that he experienced. Now, as this injured man, this injured traveler is, is lying on the ground, half dead, um, a priest comes on the same route, and she was saying that this priest was coming, and, he's, and the priest saw the man, but he went around him. And then a Levite, same thing. He saw the injured man, but then he just went around the path. Now, for those of you that might not know who the Levites are, Levites are the descendants of Levi, uh, one of the 12 sons from Jacob, and the, you know, one of the 12 tribes of Israelites as well. And the, and, the, and the tribe of Levi, they actually had a very holy responsibility where they were assigned to take care of the temple and all the temple duties that came along with it. So they were, um, in a way, very spiritual slash religious people. Now, before we go any further, I just want to take our time and, and, and just kind of think about the first two people that Jesus has mentioned, the priest and the Levite. Every time I read this passage, I always get convicted how the priest and the Levite neglected their priesthood by simply um, ignoring this injured man. I mean, they just simply went on about it. They went around the path. Some scholars are saying that for the priest, when he saw this injured man, most likely all he could, all he could have um, think about and worried about is the fact that if I were to touch this man or help this man who looks dead or who could be dead, I'm going to lose my temple duty. Because if the priest touched this so-called dead man on the ground, then he would have violated uh, Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, where Numbers, uh, Numbers 19 that's, it says, if you touch a dead man, you're considered unclean. And so if you're unclean, then you have to quarantine for yourself for seven days. And so this man realized, oh, snap, I'm going to lose my duty, and, and I can't afford that. So I, have, I can't risk this, you know, this um, situation. So he simply went about it. He cared about his liturgy more than the well-being of the traveler. Now, the Levite, I mean, he was the same situation where the Le Levite, I mean, he wasn't better or anything because another scholars were saying that for the Levite, when he saw the injured man, he could have worried about his own safety because back then, you know, the group of thieves, they would use, they would use one of their men as a decoy to ambush a traveler. And so from the Levite's perspective, when he saw the, the injured man, he, I'm sure immediately, immediately he said, Oh, like if I were to help him, I might get attacked, I might get ambushed. So I don't think it's worth my safety over his. And so the Levi went away. The two spiritual leaders, I mean, they were so good at taking care, caring themselves, really good at loving themselves, but they did not consider the traveler as their neighbor. Now, here comes a little plot twist today where a Samaritan, 
comes into the scene. Now, before we talk about the Samaritan, I just want to share with you guys. Samaritans and Jews did not get along whatsoever. Samaritans were a group of mixed-race people between Jews and other foreign nations. And during the Old Testament days, they intermarried and became Samaritans. But unfortunately, by intermarrying with other nations, it, it contradicted with Deuteronomy chapter 7, 3, where it was instructed for Jewish people, for God's people, to not to marry, not to intermarry other um, nations. I, during that time, it, it was very strongly um, implied. And yet, because it, you know, they broke the law, some Jews broke the laws, that there's just so much anger and hatred towards the so-called purebred Jewish people and the hybrid Jews. So they just didn't get along. I mean, it was just, there was a lot of tension. And yet Jesus, a Jew himself, uses the faithfulness of the Samaritan to teach us the second greatest commandment today. I mean, if you look at the picture right here, the Samaritan, I mean, he went out of his ways to, to, to take care of the injured man by putting him the first aid, right? He used his own oil and wine. And he grabbed the injured, the traveler, placed him on his own donkey, as you can see. And he took him to an inn that was, in a way, within the, within the proximity. And more profound gesture of the Samaritan is that he did not simply just drop the, the injured man at the inn, but he told, but then he stayed about a day or two to make sure that the, the traveler did not die overnight, but he was taken care of, and he paid all the expense out of his own pocket. I mean, he even told the innkeeper that, hey, any expense that might go beyond you know, what I paid, I'm going to cover everything. Some scholars are saying that the amount of money that he paid for this injured traveler was worth up, you know, weeks or months of wages. I mean, it was a lot of, lot of money that he spent. Now, as the parable gets wrapped up, Jesus is, asked this follow-up question to the lawyer, saying, now, out of the three, Jesus said, which of, the, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Out of the three, which one? And the lawyer, now, it doesn't say in the scripture, but I wonder, I wonder if the lawyer had some difficult time answering this question because as a smart Jewish um, expert in the law, he knew the answer, but for him, but his response shows that he was going crazy in his heart. And look at verse 37, it says what? The one who had mercy on him. The lawyer said the one who had mercy on him. He knew that out of the three men, the Samaritan was a faithful one, that the Samaritan was a hero in the parable. And yet, because he couldn't acknowledge that, because he couldn't accept that reality, he simply said, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy on him. And as we continue to just, you know, just sit and dwell upon this tension, a scholar named Bruce Larson says this. Jesus said to us, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love of self is instinctive 
and involuntary. If you're in trouble, you never wonder if you're worth helping. When you're queuing up for a movie or a ball game, it would never occur to you to surrender your place to someone else. Jesus says in the kingdom, that's how you love your neighbor. You feel he or she is worthy and deserves preferential treatment. There is no legalism. There is no legalism. The lawyer, the fact that he asked the question, who is my neighbor, I mean, the more you read about it, it really feels like he wanted to just come up with this new law or, or his own version of the second greatest commandment. He wanted to justify his definition of who his neighbor should be. And the fact that he wanted to justify his version of neighbor, I mean, church, let's, let's admit this. I mean, you and I, we can relate to this idea where we want to control and choose who our neighbor should be in our lives. But today's parable taught us that God made it very clear who our neighbor is. Our, church is, our church's mission is what? The first two greatest commandments, love God and love others. But today's parable taught us what it means and how to live out the gospel life through the action of, Samaritan, of the Samaritan's faithfulness. I mean, out of the three men, only the Samaritan showed us that in order for us to live out the gospel life, we have to be seeing and acting with compassion. Seeing and acting with compassion. Because when we look at those three individual men, the priest, the Levite, and the, and the Samaritan, I mean, look at the Samaritan first. When he saw the injured man as he was traveling on his own business trip, he saw the man, and, and the scripture says he took pity on him. He had compassion over him. And he gave his full attention saying, you know what, I see this man's need. I mean, this man is in trouble. He needs, he needs assistance, and there's no one else can fulfill that. And he did not look away. Whereas the priest and the Levite, when they saw him, when they saw the traveler, I mean, all they could think of was their selfish their selfish needs and desires. What I mean by that is, the moment they saw the injured man, I mean, for the priest and the Levite, all they could think of was, man, how is this going to benefit me? By risking myself to, to try to help this dead man, pretty much, how can this benefit me? And is this going to be an inconvenient scenario that I have to deal with? And what happened was that those two, priests and the Levite, realized that, yeah, I mean, it's not worth the risk. And so they turned away. They literally turned away from the scene. Second, the action, right? Acting with compassion. I mean, the Samaritan, he went the extra mile, whereas the Levite and the priests, I mean, there were no actions. There was no action from them. They simply bypassed the injured man, whereas the Samaritan, he went the extra mile. My, my goodness, I mean, he took care of him so well. Where to a point, church, let's be honest. If the Samaritan simply left the man on the ground after mending his wounds, right? Like, so by putting the oil and the wine over him, you know, and maybe wrapped, around, um, wrapped his body with garments. I mean, if the Samaritan simply just left him there, 
Some of us would, would have given the Samaritan two thumbs up already, saying, wow, you did so much for him already. And I think it's okay for you to just leave him and hopefully he recovers and then he can get back on his feet and then go on his way. He did so much and yet, and the scripture clearly tells us that Samaritan did so much more. He didn't just simply, you know, took care of his um, initial injuries, but what happened? He took, he placed him on his own donkey and took him to the inn and paid for all the expense. And, and in the scripture it says, this is a, another profound thing where he said, hey, once I come back from my trip, I'm going to stop by making sure that he's okay and pay for any extra fees that you might have to spend to take care of him while I'm gone. Think about it. He already did so much, and yet he's going, he said, I'm going to drop him off at an end, take a day or two to make sure that he stays alive, pay all the expense to the innkeeper, and clearly told him that I'm, I'm coming back because I have to go do, take care of my business. However, once I come back, I'm going to make sure that I stop by and pay all the extra fees. Think about that for a little bit. When was the last time when you and I, we went that extra mile? When was the last time where you and I, we went that extra mile? What we just read about the Good Samaritan, I mean, that's what it means to, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's what it means to live out the second greatest commandment. As Bruce Larson said earlier, that, that when you and I were in danger, that, that our, our self-love, I mean, we're so good at it. I mean, to a point where instinctively and involuntarily that we will make sure that we are taken care of. That, that if something happens to our own body, whether we get cuts or broken um, bones, bruises, I mean, we're not going to just simply look and like, oh, I have cuts. Uh-oh, it's bruised. I'm not going to do anything about it. No. Instinctively, we're going to put, you know, first aid kit on it. Instinctively, we're going to put, you know, ice pack on it, or we're going to go to the doctors. And Jesus is saying, that's how you need to love your neighbor. Jesus is saying, don't calculate like how the priest and the Levite did, but instinctively and involuntarily see the situation and act out of compassion like how the Samaritan was in this parable. Especially as we're living in this world and especially in the midst of this global pandemic, and we had to maintain our social distance, right? And so this is even more difficult. I mean, some of you are asking, well, pastor, how are we supposed to, you know, go and carry our neighbor onto our so-called donkey and all this stuff? Like, how are we supposed to do all this stuff? How are we supposed to be the Good Samaritan when we're supposed to, you know, socially distance and all that? I mean, some of the practical examples I can give you is that there are a lot of people that are on the street right now who is asking for change. I mean, even in, in Northern Virginia area, there's a lot of people that, that I see whenever I drive. And I really believe that fact that we're, 
we are willing to carry some extra cash as shows that we care about, that we care and love about our neighbor. The fact that we have extra box of gloves where we can wear so that when we do have an opportunity to give extra change to our neighbor, we can you know, do that safely by wearing our mask, you know, putting on our gloves, you know, giving our change. And I really believe that even that kind of um, small gesture can honor God greatly. Not because we think that, oh, I'm just, you know, gonna, you know I have extra dollar or two and I just want to get rid of it. No, it's because it's not much, but we believe that through this small gesture, God can magnify it and meet their daily bread. Another practical way for us is even Rising Hope Ministry. I mean, the fact that, you know, whenever we say, you know, we're in need of non-perishable food items, my goodness, every time we ask for that support and assistance from you guys, you guys respond right away, and you guys give abundantly. And that's powerful. That's a powerful testimony that, you know, we are ready to respond with compassion as well. So I want to encourage all of us that as we learn who our neighbor is, because sometimes, or a lot of times, our neighbor can be this reckless traveler that we see in the scripture that will come out, that will come out in our lives. And God is giving us an opportunity to respond to their needs for the love of God and, and to live out the gospel life. And so, yeah, I just hope that, you know, as we continue to live out this life, as we continue to navigate through this time of uncertainties and a lot of mountains and trials in our lives, I pray and hope that as we genuinely love God, that we will love others and we will live out the gospel life with compassion, with conviction, and with passion. So let's pray, church. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and for, for calling us your people, God. And Lord, as you clearly instructed us to, to love you wholeheartedly, Lord, with everything that we've got, and as you have clearly taught us, Lord, you know, what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, Lord, I pray and hope that today, to every single one of us, we're convicted and we're reminded that wherever we go, whoever we meet, every single people bear your image and they are our neighbor. So Lord, as we continue to be your hands and feet, as we continue to be your people, Lord, teach us what it means to worship you. Teach us what it means to, to give back all the blessings that you have poured out for us to honor your kingdom and your glory. So soften our hearts and help us to be proactive and help us to yeah, help us, Lord. We just need you, Lord. Help us, God. Help us to be your sons and daughters in all seasons. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We love you, we need you, and we give you all the praise and honor and glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen.